Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 50 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Substituting for me today is Matt Stankwitz, Senior Associate at the Volkoff Law Group. Today's topic is cryptocurrency and blockchain, and Matt interviews uh, Jason Davis, the CEO of Horde Invest. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello, everyone. I am Matt Stankwitz, Senior Associate at the Volkoff Law Group. I am standing in for Mike today as the host of the Corruption, Crime, and Compliance podcast. Uh, if you follow the blog, you will know that I'm the one that's often writing about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that fun stuff. So today on the podcast, I'm going to be interviewing CEO of Horde Invest. His name is Jason Davis. Uh, he's a great guy, very personable, and he's going to be describing his, his project, which is very broad. And ultimately, its goal is to make cryptocurrency more accessible to the common user. They are developing a decentralized multi-currency wallet, an intelligent fiat-based cryptocurrency exchange, and a second-layer cross-chain payments protocol for everyday use. So that may sound like a foreign language to a few of you, but I promise the project is ultimately designed for the common user. So we're going to get a little, little technical in this podcast as we discuss some of the nuances about how it operates. Um, but more importantly, we're also going to get into some of the current regulatory structures in the U.S. regarding cryptocurrency, about how Jason and his company Horde are navigating those muddy waters. And more interesting is his thoughts on what he would like to see in the realm and what he would say to regulators if he was given a platform to talk to them. So before we jump into that, Dark Horse Intelligence is a global investigation and security consulting firm offering comprehensive domestic and foreign intelligence services to the legal, corporate, and financial communities. Dark Horse Intelligence is staffed by highly skilled investigators and fraud examiners, many of whom have been associated with government, defense, and intelligence agencies worldwide, including various European agencies and the U.S. DOD, CIA, DEA, and FBI agencies. Check them out at darkhorseintel.com. Again, that website is www.darkhorseintel.com. We have a quick message from our sponsor of this podcast, Dark Horse Intelligence. I'm the Compliance Podcast. As I mentioned, I am here with Jason Davis, CEO of Port Invest. Jason, how are you doing today? Uh, dude, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, super, super excited to be on the call and uh, just a really great Monday, man. Got a lot of work done and, and packing up to head to the beach, take the kids to the beach for the summer. So great day. Awesome. Sounds like a great day. So, yeah, let's just kind of jump into this. Jason, um, you know, you are a, a cryptocurrency expert by this point, um, but didn't necessarily start that way. Can you give us a brief background of uh, your career so far? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I got into the tech sector probably, um, what is it, 2018, probably around 20, 2009, right after the recession, um, just a career change. Um, and, and I started to program, uh, self-taught uh, programming in multiple languages, realized I really wasn't a fan of the back-end stuff. I was more of a fan of the front-end, so I really, really gravitated towards design. And um, from there, uh, I began to kind of build up uh, my experience or expertise in UX engineering, UX architecture, user experience design, um, which led me into the financial sectors, um, which I then worked for uh, a couple of banks, short-term Bank of America, but primarily Wells Fargo. And I spent years there designing their app. And in that tenure, we talked about blockchain long before it was really a hot topic. And um, that's when I began to you know, explore it uh, around 2013, get into cryptocurrencies, around that time frame. And uh, I've kind of, you know, as they say, I've taken the red pill and been immersed ever since. <laughs> so you shifted from centralized banking to now the decentralized financial system. A hundred percent. You know, I, I got to experience firsthand what centralized banking really looks like from the inside. And, uh, you know, I was, my organization was three levels below the CEO. Um, we were responsible for designing all digital channels. So anything you see, as a customer from Wells Fargo, we were responsible for presenting that to the customer. Um, and so, you know, you get to hear things, you get to understand how the process works. And, and I got to admit, though, 
you know, it taught me so much being there. Like, I'm glad I got that opportunity to be there for all those years. Like it taught me how to run a large organization by learning what not to do. And so I've translated that into, you know, our, our agile design and dev shop for cryptocurrencies and the same kind of methodologies that we learn at the bank. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, around 2013, I made the switch. Like I realized this is not where I, my home, my home was not the bank. It's not where I wanted to be. It wasn't, it didn't align with me. And the more I got to dig in, the more I realized, Hey, there's a, there's a brave new world and a new economic structure coming. And I want to be on the forefront. I want to be a part of it and I want to contribute. So that change has then led you to create your latest company right now, Horde Invest. And I've got the mission statement right here. Let me read it real quick. So the mission for Horde is to empower anyone anywhere in the world to hold, track, transfer, and transact with any tokenized asset from their mobile device privately and instantly. So can you kind of give a background about how Horde came to be and just you know how you laid the roots for it? Yeah, man. So that, that entrance into this space um, for me and my peers, my family was just fraught with peril, right? I mean, it was every corner you turned, there was a problem, there was a gap, there was an issue. And the fact that, you know, inherently, like my, my core expertise is trying to solve those problems, build bridges, plug gaps, fix things. You know, I, I was just, you know, everywhere I looked, I'm like, wow, there's these huge issues, right? And then, but you dive a little deeper, you realize the industry is, is lacks design thinking. It's just, it's heavily engineered, right? And engineers do what engineers do best. They engineer stuff. Um, and my engineering background is more on, on user-centric design. And the engineering side on blockchain was more on the technology itself, like this emerging technology. So, you know, as I, as I entered this space, I'm like, hey, mom and dad, you know, sign up here and do this. And I'm getting 15 phone calls a day how do I do this? How do I do that? Or I'm scared to do this. And then I would get friends involved. They're like, I, you know, I sent you a transaction. Have you got it yet? And I'm like, you shouldn't need to call me to, to find out if the transaction went through or it's safe. It should just happen. Right. And then, so as I began to dive in and dive in, you know, the more problems arose and I just said, Hey man, there's gotta be a solution out there. And I looked and looked and looked and there wasn't one. So, you know, Horde was born. And I can relate to those stories as well. It's like as a, as a cryptocurrency investor myself, uh, you know, all those issues that pop up are ones that I'm all too familiar with. I mean, it's been nerve-wracking here's a, here's a, here's, just to send Bitcoin to a friend. It's <laughs> it, it, well, it is. And so and here's one of the things in like UX. Like the, the higher um, your perception of, uh, of risk, the less likely you're going to interact, right? And so Horde is all about boosting the user's confidence in their interaction. Their day-to-day dealings with blockchain and cryptocurrencies, we need to simplify and, and, and bring a surety, bring confidence into that interaction. And, and so low, lowering that perception of risk, which means kind of minimizing any steep learning curves, right? Uh, bridging, bridging major gaps uh, and just making it more familiar. Um, I, I have a, a quote I like to use. If we expect... Um, if we expect the world, and this is paraphrasing, but if we expect the world to adapt to a technology, we need to, you know, we need the we need the ability for an individual to adapt to that technology. That's probably backwards, but the point is, if we want a world to transform to this, but a user, an individual person can't, then the world's not. So, and, and here's a prime example. I always use this. So I tried to get my dad to buy Ripple. He had five grand to put into it. Not a huge fan of Ripple, but the investment was all about it. And at this time, it was between two-tenths and three-tenths of a penny. So probably late February, early March of 2017. I said, just put all your money in this. It's about to explode. And uh, he said, where do I start? I said, go to Coinbase. That's the easiest place you can start. He said, I can only put $500 in. I'm like, we'll put 500 bucks in. So he does. He's like, I have to wait a week. I'm like, for what? He's like, because of my limits. I'm like, all right, well, then wait till next week. And then in the meantime, contact their customer support or call them on the phone and tell them you want to put five grand in. No, no phone support. Contacts their tech support. Tech support doesn't, it takes two weeks for them to respond. Um, in the meantime, I said, hey, you're going to need to sign up at another exchange so that you can purchase the Ripple. So he starts at Kraken um, then goes to Bitrix. 
both of those in a combined time frame took three to five weeks for him to get verified to use their platform. Then once he got there, he said, what the hell am I looking at? All this is foreign. It's all, it's all German to me. I don't know what I'm doing. And so in that time frame, Ripple had grown from three cents a penny all the way up to 27 cents. And the $2.2 million he would have got on a cap was pretty much just diluted tremendously by that point. And people experience the same kind of scenario day in and day out in crypto. And so I just felt horrible. I'm like, man. And at the time I was like, I already had some in there um, and I had already sold, but I'm trying to get someone else to do it. Right. And I can't do it for them. Um, I had my own cap, my own limitations, my own, you know, so that's just one, one example of how, you know, the inefficiencies in the industry, um, specifically when it comes to, you know, how things are regulated, how things, you know, comply or, or how, how, in, how entities, um, work with compliance, how their systems work, how their tech works, how the exchanges work. And it's just a, it's kind of a nightmare. And, and to expound upon that just a little bit more, you know, individuals historically in crypto have had to use seven different apps to transact with three different coins or two different parties. At least. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, why this, this is an inefficient thing. Like I can go to one bank and handle everything I need. Um, unless that bank won't, you know, maybe won't, won't give me an extra credit card. I got to go somewhere else. But, um, you know, so I'm like, Hey, I want to build the same type of banking experience retail consumers are used to on the blockchain using crypto as the first uh, test case and then going into other assets down the road. So all those problems led to your vision to create Horde Invest. So yep. Horde is now a, it's, well, it's a financial services platform and exchange for cryptocurrency at its basic summary. So can you kind of give a little more in-depth explanation of what it is, what kind of services you'll be offering? Um, essentially just your elevator speech to kind of, you know, give a pretty good background to our listeners. Yeah, man. Um, so first and foremost, um, and I, and I'm, I'm going to just uh, tackle this by problem. Hmm. Um, so first and foremost was a, a multi-currency or multi-chain, multi-blockchain wallet, right? One that can hold any currency in existence or those that are, you know, wor worth a damn, right? Uh, second to that, it's open source. So anyone can see the code. Anyone can audit the code. Anyone can test or pen test the code. It was completely uh, consumable to any any tech tech guy out there, right? So uh, a wallet that holds any coin um, that's completely open source and anyone can access. Like you know, it's nothing centralized. So that the fact that the user holds all their keys or access, they have they they remain they maintain control of their keys on this wallet. And then taking that as the foundational layer and the building upon that and solving other problems. So one of those problems being getting fiat into crypto. Now it's not, it's Coinbase is super simple, right? I'm not going to, not going to say that we're going to be better than Coinbase on that one front of buying a Bitcoin or Ethereum or excuse me, Ether or Litecoin. Um, but I, I wanted to be able to buy that same problem. My dad faced not being able to buy Ripple with cash. I want to be able to buy other alts with cash, just directly into cash. And there's Abra, there's wallets like Abra is trying to solve that. And what actually happens is you buy Litecoin with cash and then the Litecoin's traded for the asset on the backside. But it's very centralized. You don't have access to your keys. And um, the fees are extremely high. And Coinbase fees are extremely high. So I'm like, hey, how do I get fiat into crypto? How do I make it extremely cheap, instant, like really fast? Like with Coinbase, you could wait up to seven days to get your crypto. Um, so how do I solve that problem? And then and then again, another issue is like, hey, I'm having to use, I had to go to this exchange or that exchange or this wallet and, and for these different assets. Um, well, maybe, I'm, maybe I want to use some of these different services just because I like the platform, but I need to track it all in one place, track the transactions. Unlike Blockfolio, which is a nice app that everyone knows, it will track balances. You have to manually input them. And we wanted to automate the process. And I think, I believe Delta is an app that does that now. But we wanted a one-stop shop that you can push a single button at the tax time and present all of your tax um, statements for the end of the year for crypto. This one place, it's tracking all of your all of your exchanges, all of your wallets, anything that has API only access or read-only API access. We didn't want to do, we don't want write access just because that's a security flaw. So that's another solution. And then we realized, hey, 
how do we make it really easy for people to start investing in crypto who who've never who, who don't who've never done it before or inexperienced investing period and so we came up with a an ifttt inspired type uh investing platform ifttt for those that don't know stands for if this then that so basically rule-based investing the closest i can equate to this is the is acorns acorns model rounds up all of your purchases and invest it into etfs well there's not a lot of money in the acorns platform although they've done billions of transactions there's not much money there so from a business side we're like hey we can expand upon these rules and allow people to to do much more than just round up a purchase so example would be every time i get paid on a direct deposit take x percentage from my paycheck and put it into a coin coins or a coin basket, which is a pre-made set of coins, and then have an auto rebalance feature. This is a single tap where you tap once and then the back end does all the buying and selling and repositioning for you. So you don't have to do it. And the reason that's there is because you technically own all of the, these coins outright. You're in possession of the keys. So um, our platform just allows you to do simple, um, allows you to do complex things in a simplistic manner. And then, on a little bit more technical was our blockchain technology and how that's going to operate and 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 be uh, usable in the world for everyday use, everyday applications, whether it be consumer, retail, or commercial. How do we make how do we make crypto usable? Um, and as we know, like a Bitcoin transaction uh, can take you know 30, 45 minutes to safely verify on chain. You know, Lightning Network is coming in to try to solve that, but that's just for the Bitcoin and Bitcoin blockchain assets. What about all the other chains? So we're trying to build technology that allows you to move any asset across the network instantly, safely verified instantly. So it's all off-chain technology, similar to Lightning, um, but it's more, much more akin to the project called Zero X. And so Zero X, we say our, our hoard is much more like Zero X for all chains, as opposed to Zero X just being for the Ethereum chain or Lightning just being for Bitcoin. So now we've made these assets much more fungible, movable, right? Much more safer to send a transaction to someone. You don't have to call them in 30 minutes and say, did you get it? Or have I lost it? It's an instant notification that says this person has received their asset. You don't even have to, you don't have to call them. We send you a push and says that they have their coin. We took that same technology and said, well, how can we disrupt the payment space? Well, Visa and MasterCard kind of have this... Um, you know, they kind of own the market on transactions for merchants and they charge 3%. That 3% is basically insurance to settle the transaction. Well, if a blockchain transaction is, is irreversible, then they, they're not necessary for transactions. I mean, they really aren't. So beyond, you know, the need for purchase protection, how, how do we allow someone to spend money at a merchant whether it be cash or crypto, anything they hold, and it's a unit of value, they exchange it with a merchant, and the merchant receives it as a unit of value they prefer, and, and they get their, their remittance is instant, and uh, they don't have to wait, and they can pay a half a percent or, or down to free for their transactions. So that's, a, you know, that's another thing we tried to solve for, um, and w- which we are solving for with our technology. So we really are in one and one in a lack of a better term building a crypto bank, but we, we aren't building a bank. We say, you know, we're very clear that we're not building a bank, but it's yeah, careful it's, with that it's, word. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's, 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 it's very similar to what a bank would do if it was built on right. a blockchain, completely open source, completely decentralized and distributed. It's, it's a lot like a bank. We just, you know, we're likely never going to offer things like checking accounts um it's just not something because that there again comes the debit card there again comes visa and if it can all be baked into your telephone which we're most likely more more likely to hold we're all staring at our phone you know mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna lose our wallet and keys before we lose our phone so so, so stepping back real quick to that the uh the payment process um so essentially just to kind of put it as an example um let's say someone wanted to just buy a cup of coffee with um, some kind of crypto and it doesn't necessarily need to be Bitcoin, the most popular one. It could be more of an, you know, obscure altcoin such as, um, almost say go or Neo. I mean, they may, they may not be too obscure, but you know, just for example's sake, um, they could use those to pay and 
transaction would be quick, processed quick enough where they can, you know, buy a cup of coffee at a counter like that. And the vendor would still receive fiat U.S. currency. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the, that's the example. So, um, and that's a great example. So, yeah, uh, uh, Omisago, Neo are not very obscure. But as long as the asset is liquid, right? as long as the asset's liquid and there's a market there, then you can spend that asset. Now, some assets will com- be completely illiquid. There's no way to transfer it, right? I mean, why would, you know, why would someone on the other end of the market want this asset if no one else wants the asset, right? So there's the, there's the stale market factor, right? What happens when the market's stale? Well, our wallet will hold fiat dollars as well through a, through a banking API partnership. Um, so you, you'll be able to hold fiat on your device and exchange it in the same manner you would exchange crypto assets. So in the, in the event that, you know, markets are stale or, you know, you only hold illiquid assets because they're all obscure, but you do have fiat in the wallet, you'll still be able to make your purchases. So, um, and it's all done through QR technology. So that's something that, that most people, you know, everyone's trying to do this whole swipe to pay or wave to pay, which is great. Like on the Android device, you can do that. Um, because they, their NFC technology is open source. Um, for Apple, though, they have that chip locked down. If you if you heard recently or not not so recently, like the country of Australia was trying to sue Apple to get access to that chip. Um, and in this case, we're circumventing NFC altogether. So standard QR technology and QR codes are are like our Asian counterparts. Um, their payment technology is far more advanced than U.S. payment technology, and they all use QR and scan. So um, we're just trying to do that in the States and make that obviously globally available, integrate with the, our, our, um, our Asian peers, but also make that available in other countries as well as the United States um, and use QR payment technology. Circumvent the middlemen, circumvent, circumvent the fees, be able to you know, trade two chickens for a goat in digitally, so to speak. And have that, you know, goat automatically show up as a horse, right? That's kind of like the best analogy I can give. (laughs) Fascinating. And this is all made possible by uh, the blockchain and specifically your underlying technology, which you're developing is the the Smaug network. Is that correct? Yeah. All this is powered on the Smaug network. And it's also underlying that is your specific coin, the OR coin, the OAR coin. Yeah, which, you know, uh, stands for off-chain asset reserve. So um, there's, there, you know, we modified, we have this, we have version 1.0. Basically version 1.0, it, you, you collateralize your transaction, much like Ether and uh, Casper or Plasma works today, right? So if you're going to want to send an ETH and you want to make it instantaneous, you have to have two ETH, right? And one ETH goes in as collateral so you can send the other ETH, just in case if you're a bad actor, right? Not very, not very scalable. And in the event that, you know, as we grow our business and, the, and obviously the market of ore increases in value, you know, it may not be as attainable to an individual, right? It may, it may perceive uh, um, less attainable. So we have version two coming out where we leverage a community of masternodes and they may stake um, an asset on your behalf so you can transact. So you don't necessarily have to own ore yourself. Um, we call them the selfless versus the selfish actor. Selfish actors don't want to use or selfless actors will use or. Um, but in any event, the, the transaction is collateralized in some way. And it's all based on game theory, much like Casper and Ethereum. It's all based on game theory. We love game theory at Horde and how you can take advantage of it. And, you know, we have we have built in processes like adjudication. So um, the, the adjudication process is if you are trying to double spend and gain the system, the ore or the asset, which was collateralized for the transaction, will be confiscated. And then if you, if you need arbitrage after the fact, you want to settle um, arbitration, excuse me, after the fact, and you need to settle, you can contact us and say, hey, I wasn't trying to screw you guys, blah, 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 whatever. And we can work through that process you know, as a community. Um, but all the data, all the transaction information, everything would be public information. So you, you know, the community can take a look at it and say, mm, no. Nah. They were definitely trying to scam us. Um, and I mean, there's some things that are binary, right? So there's, there's no, less, there's very little gray area for some of these things. So it's, it's, it's really black or white. Like you can tell someone was trying to, to screw the, the system. Someone wasn't trying to screw the system. Mm-hmm. 
Fascinating. And then, so going forward, I, you know, been reading up uh, on Ord a lot lately and seeing some of your past interviews. And I saw you talk recently about uh, pushing forward to become an alternative, an alternative trading system. Uh, so what are your goals with that? And where do you see that going? Yeah. So one of the reasons why we're considering that on um, an ATS is we see the influx of digitized assets, right? Whether it be securities, commodities, utilities, whatever, right? Um, we, we see that coming to market, right? We see these things being um, securitized or, excuse me, securities being tokenized, whatever, however you want to see it, right? And so one of the things we look at is, well, does, does a wallet exist to help someone self-manage, self-custody their assets, not just cryptocurrencies, but other blockchain-based digital assets, whether that be gold or barrels of oil or, you know, um, stock in Apple, you know? So the idea is, again, back to that analogy of like trading two chickens for a goat, we see a free market where you might want to be able to trade, you might want to trade like uh, some Apple stock for a Bitcoin, for a barrel of oil, for some gold, for a cup of coffee. Right. It should be that fluid. Right. Value should be exchangeable on the blockchain. Right. Now, some assets will always be in private or closed networks, like, let's say, um, ownership, equity uh, in a home. These things might need to be privatized. But if you can still tap these systems. So back to why we would have an ATS, it's the idea that, hey, let let these speculators speculate, let these traders trade. But me as an individual or consumer, I am holding value. And maybe I need to spend that value and like to sell your Apple stock in certain, in most of these platforms, you got to sell it. You got to wait three days before you get your cash or five days before you get your cash. Um, what if I just want to trade that stock for, for Bitcoin and I want to trade that Bitcoin for something else, Litecoin, I take that Litecoin and trade it for some ownership and a barrel of oil. And then maybe one day I'm like, Hey, I need to pay this person for this used car I want to buy. It's four grand. And I can just send them whatever asset I hold. And uh, they receive that value. And they know it's value. They know it's worthy. They know they can exchange it for any other thing on our market. And so it's like removing the need for a dollar bill. You know, while things, many things would be pegged to the price or the valuation of a dollar, um, you don't need to hold it, right? I can just move assets around. So that's the idea of the ATS for us. It's not to build a, a trading floor for a bunch of Wall Street guys. It's not the goal. Um, and it's, it's still just a consideration. It's like, how do we, how do we enter this new market and, uh, make it more consumer retail friendly? And, uh, how do we make value for value much more liquid and exchangeable and not put limitations on people with their money and their value? So that's really interesting because, you know, a lot of experts do see that as the future for the blockchain, the, um, tokenization of securities and commodities and, you know, like you said, putting barrels of oil on the blockchain, for example, just trading those as if they were Bitcoin. So, yeah, um, it's just value, right? Like right. I have all these different assets, different asset classes. It doesn't matter what they are, but my overall nut is 50K or 100K. And I want to make a purchase or I want to transfer value to someone. It shouldn't matter what it is, right? If it's on blockchain, it just shouldn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. We just see it as value. So we, we've gone pretty high level so far with, uh, uh, you know, with this interview, we discussed some of the inner workings of Horde, but I mean, at its core, uh, from what I understand, Horde is meant to be very user-friendly. And even though we kind of look behind the curtain to see all, you know, some of the complexities of it, um, the user themselves will have a very simple approach using just the app or a desktop interface. And all this will just kind of happen automatically. Yeah, that's the goal, man. I mean, just to make it as simple. Easier uh, said than done. Easier yeah, said well, than done. It yeah, it's difficult. It's not, it's not easy. Right. It was every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there were building this platform. And we have very few competitors in the space. I respect all the current competitors we do have. We're all approaching some of the same problems in different ways. And we all look to make a blockchain. And, and here's, here's another thing I like to say. Mass adoption is going to come when everyone's using blockchain and they don't even know it. That's mass adoption, right? You don't even know that you're doing it. Now, those that are the, those that are scrupulous and those that know what's going on know that they're dealing with barrels of oil, Bitcoin, whatever, Apple stock, uh, crypto, whatever. They they know, but the rest of the world is not going to know. It's like you go to you poll you poll I, I would say poll a thousand people 
and maybe 10, 20, 30 may know exactly how Visa and MasterCard works. The rest have no idea. They just say, hey, it works. I go to the store, they ask for it. Um, so that, that's the goal, right? Get to a position, build a platform where most of the people don't even know what the hell's going on. They just know that they have this value and it's completely fluid, it's completely liquid, and they can exchange, hold, track, transfer, and transact, and they can do it privately and instantly from their device and don't have to think about it. So one of the other issues that um, generally comes up as a reason why the public hasn't really jumped into cryptocurrency yet is security. Uh, so in terms of hacking and things like that, we hear a lot about um, you know, a variety of high-profile exchange failings and hacks and whatnot. Um, how is Horde going to um, address those concerns? Great question. Um, there's a saying from my dad, Jack. Um, I've always loved, and he's and it's from a young age, locked doors only keep honest people out. And so there's no system in this world that's unhackable, um, whether it's done through technology, whether it's done through uh, social engineering, whether it's done in person. If someone wants to hack you and steal from you, then they have the ability and the capability to do so, they're going to, right? Nothing. So uh, with that being said, Horde is taking every action we can possibly take to ensure the ultimate security, right? And there's going to be weak points in our security. For example, if you have a jailbroken phone, um, you should never have a crypto wallet on your device, ever. Um, most people don't know that. And a lot of people get hacked because they have broken devices. They have a jailbroken iPhone or jail, some, you know, jailbroken Android or Samsung. Um, and it's because they want to do cool things with their device. Um, or their friend told them to do it so they could download this one app and do something fun. Well, the second you put a crypto wallet on there, um, your device is completely hackable. So we can't stop people from using jailbroken devices in Horde, um, but we can we can try to use education, right? And so I think one of the forefronts of what Horde wants to provide is really rudimentary internet education and let people know, hey. We're all human. We're all adults here. If you're going to look at porn, that's great, but you don't need to be interacting with, you know, a horde wallet or any wallet for that case. You're, you're just asking for trouble, right? Um, if that's your if that's your shtick and that's what you do, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be doing this, right? You're you're going to get you're going to get taken. Um, and then basic internet behavior of like not opening emails from people you don't understand. So it starts with education. And while we can't educate the entire world, we want to provide basic education tools on our website. That's really about it's more the forefront of security. Educating you on what Litecoin is and why it exists is less of a priority for us than educating you on what, you know, don't open chain emails from your grandma that have 200 CCs available, right? And have like four files you should download. My father-in-law constantly sends me emails with, with attachments and like 500 CCs on it. I'm like, I'm, I tell him every day, I'm not opening your emails. I'm, I refuse to. Like, so you guys are getting hacked all the time. So, um, it starts with it starts with education, and then beyond there, it's like, hey, how how do we make sure we put in the best security measures available for end, end users? You know, using Touch ID, Face ID, brain passwords, along with pin codes, to lock down as much as you can, right? Um, and if you use passwords one, two, three, four, um, and you don't use pin codes and you don't use Touch ID, I mean, you're asking to be hacked. You're asking to be stolen from if if you become a target for somebody. Nothing we can do at Horde can protect you from that. Um, if you, you know, write your seed phrase down in our wallet so that, you know, you can maintain control of your keys and, and you, you forget that. We're working on how to solve some of these other problems that, that kind of plague the industry. Um, you can brute force a seed phrase, like a 12-word seed phrase. If you have, it's much, the more words you have, the much easier it is. If you don't have any of the words, it's almost impossible. But I'm never going to say it is completely impossible. It's, it's just almost impossible. Right. So. Um, you know, there's a lot out there and, you know, it's, it, we hear a lot of this in the media, but if you took a little time and read about cyber theft at banks, there's news articles every week, every month plastered about millions and millions of dollars stolen from banks. Like I mean, it, it's even if you have government and a cabal of Interpol ready to come after a hacker, they still steal it, right? They still, it, it still happens. So we're just trying to educate, provide the best possible tools available today. Um, we had discussed the hardware wallet integrating with the Horde wallet. That's still a, a discussion. Um, it helps you 
you know, it helps you protect your assets. So if you're all about investing and storing and just growing wealth, you know, hardware wallets are key. Um, but if you want to transact and interact, you're going to have to have these things, what we call a hot wallet or somewhat hot, um, semi-hot, lukewarm, if you will, um, where you can move these assets relatively fast with, with little interaction. Great. So, I mean, that, that should really help settle some concerns with, uh, you know, that, that a lot of people have with crypto. Um, one of the other concerns from um, a variety of parties wondering um, with regards to cryptocurrency are privacy concerns. So what is Horde's stance on privacy and how are you planning to um, kind of walk through some of the nuances of AML and KYC laws, regulations, um, you know, as you as you develop this product? Yeah, great, great question. So to start out on the privacy front, um, we're, we're 100% advocates of privacy. Um, and we believe the blockchain can provide a level of privacy. Um, and the Smell Network is built so that you can transact privately. So if you don't want your transactions um, public, uh, the Smell Network provides uh, privacy options to transact completely privately. Um, I'm not going to say anonymous. Your, you know, your addresses um, are obfuscated by being an off-chain, like an off-chain uh, state channel, right? Where transactions can go back and forth, and then you know one transaction is logged on the chain, and you can have state channels, and you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of people can interact in that state channel. Um, so a lot of transactions are happening, but one transaction log the chain, so that keeps it private. So we're providing privacy capabilities um, within the platform within our network. Um, but then when it comes to KYC AML, like, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that say, oh, well, you know, if you KYC AML, you're giving up your information to the U.S. Well, you're not really giving up your information to the U.S. at all. What you're doing is ensuring Horde is not helping bad actors transact on our platform. So KYC AML is about popping bad people, not, not identifying good people. And so if you're on the no-fly list or the OFAC list, um, you know, we, we're going to know and not allow you to transact on the platform. So, but here's, here's an example of where we, where we do diverge. So you can use our wallet in a headless state. Headless means, uh, you can, you can hear Vitalik say he hates the fact that you have to set up an account and centralized exchanges. And he did recently apologize for saying he wished centralized exchanges would all burn in hell, but, um, but he still stands firm that, you know, believe centralized exchanges, um, are, are, will be a thing of the past in the future. Um, we offer similar functionality in the fact that you can join, you can download Horde, um, you can use our wallet, use our portfolio tracking, use some our swap technology up to certain amounts, um, and you can transact between peers and merchants, and you never have to give us any information whatsoever. We don't have to know who you are. And there's no reason to. Um, you're completely decentralized on that front. It, the second you want to interact with uh, government-backed currencies, i.e. fiat, the U.S. dollar, um, you know, we have to be, we're beholden to those laws. So we are going to provide uh, a method to KYC ML so that you can move your fiat around. And if we could privatize that, we would, but um, right now we can't. So if you want to buy crypto with fiat, you want to use our robo-investing tool, you want to use... Um, uh, you want to sell your crypto for fiat, anything, you're going to have to be notified. We're going to, not, excuse me, notified is the wrong word. We're, we are going to have to know that you're not a bad actor through KYC AML. We don't pass that information along to the government. It's just, we're just checking lists to make sure you're not a bad actor. Right. See, that's a really helpful distinction. And I'm glad you brought that up because ultimately these laws aren't designed to hurt the average person. Um, and instead, ultimately, to some extent, help them by, you know, separating them from the guys that want to do the bad things anyway. Um, yeah, because so. we, you know, most individuals don't want to interact with, a, um, you know, we use the word terrorist. They don't want to interact with the terrorists. They don't, you right. know, they don't want to be, you know, and we don't either. Morally, you know, I don't, I don't want to. But look, if you want to buy pot for 25 bucks of Bitcoin, it's none of my business. You're going to buy, <laughs> you're going to buy it no matter what, right? Right. So, I mean, it's, it's just not, not my business. But if you're, you know, if you're, if you're that kind of person who shows up on a list, yeah, you don't need to be on our platform or, or any other. You go go find another platform to use. Don't interact with with our user base because you're you're a, you're a nefarious person. So, so that that should that leads us into our next topic pretty well. Um, so I just want to touch on some regulations, um, also kind of the lack thereof at this point. 
so right now, with regards, especially to the U with the U.S., there's a lot of uncertainty around what the current regulatory structure even is and what's going to be coming down the pipe. So how are you and Horde handling that? On the regulatory front? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, we're, you know, we, we are offering the token, like you mentioned earlier, or, um, and we are entering into this very uncertain space. Um, you know, but before I even get into that specifically, you know, there, there's a lot to cover on that subject alone. And, um, you know, so I think it might be more helpful. We broke it down a bit more specific, like, um, like what topics do do we want to cover? Because man, I I could go down a rabbit hole real fast. (laughs) Okay. Um, well, ultimately from what I understand, uh, I guess we could start with the, the ore coin, um, so from what I understand, you were pursuing some offerings in the U.S., but have since decided to shift offshore. Um, is that due to the regulatory structure? Yeah, in fact, 100%. So originally, we felt with our blockchain technology and how the coin operates um, that it is, in fact, a utility, 100%. So um, we said, hey, let's, let's propose that we walk down this utility route in the United States. And we said, we're just going to watch the regulatory environment and see what, see what's, you know, see what's happening in this space, see what people are saying, see what regulators are saying and see what's going on. And obviously the further down, the further down the road we, we got, we realized there's, they're far more bearish, far more against the idea of utilities. Right. Um, So we're like, all right, What's our option? Our option is now to just sell a straight security. When I say straight security, I mean uh, abiding by the regulatory framework that exists, that label it as such, and then sell within that, you know, uh, offer that, uh, um, sell that that offering within those rules. So that being like a Reg D, the Rule 506C, adding in the Rule 144A, and only selling to accredited investors. So we've, we've, put a staff together, we considered it, and we realized, hey, you know, th- th- this is only going to put the coin in the hands of just a few, which obviously they're only going to speculate. They're going to wait for a good time to dump. And this isn't why we're building the system. This isn't why we're offering these services and utilities. This isn't, this, is, this isn't what we're about. So we said, you know what? The only way around this is, is to uh, remove ourselves as much as possible um, from from the reach of the SEC, and not, it's not 100% reach. Doesn't matter where you sell. If you're interacting with U.S. Uh, residents, you're 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 within that jurisdiction in some capacity. But selling directly to them no longer became an option, um, which was unfortunate because we have a lot of U.S. interests, and um, you know it's also unfortunate that like the, the current laws for accreditation are are so black and white. Like, what's the difference between someone who earns 200 grand a year? And someone earns $199,999. Why is that the distinction? How is the person that earns $1 less per year not sophisticated, not savvy, not capable? Like that, there, there's got to be an on-ramp or a ramp for this, these things, right? We see the, the answer to that was like a Reg A, Reg A plus, right? Where we can sell based on your income, U.S. residents, you know, and they can protect you based on your income that you don't, you know, gamble like in Vegas. But again, I, to me, that's, that's still way too much overreach. I understand the unsophisticated person, the unscrupulous, the person who's sold. I get the protection there, um, the protection of grandma. But again, that grandma clause doesn't doesn't add up when you're $1 short of accredited investor status. That doesn't add up. How is grandma any smarter $1 more in income than she is one less in income? So that's ridiculous. That needs complete reform. Um, there needs to be a ramp up for this. But for, take Reg A Plus, for example, though, the more you investigate the space – those who go down a reg A that, that are a company like mine, although they tell people that they're filing a reg A and that you're in the U.S. and you can buy, most of them will never see the other end of that filing. Established businesses are the ones who can successfully file reg A's. Startups should never be filing reg A's. And many startups are going down the reg A route and they're going to fail. So us seeing that, you know, kind of seeing light at the end of the tunnel and what it, what it looks like or predicting that, we're like, nope, we can't get another Reg A route either. So we're going to have to move. 
But in that move, we're going to make it. We're going to make a smart move. We're going to make the move, the same move that U.S. investment banks do. We're going to go to the Caymans. Um, that means we're going to have to still adhere to KYC AML laws in the Caymans because they have strict KYC AML, just like the states do. So again, we're not letting nefarious actors into our token sale. We're going to know who you are, but we just have to let international only audiences. Um, and not not every audience, right? We, you know, U.S. is out, Canada's out, China's out, um, Australia is currently in question. A lot of places are in question right now. Um, and we looked at other locations um, and felt like you know the rush to Malta is probably a premature. Um, they're, they're gonna they're gonna circle back and things may change. Cayman's is pretty well established. As long as the the law firms there can look at your offering and they feel they understand that the utility aspect of it, like we were so strongly about in the beginning of our sale that we were going to literally sell to U.S. residents under that clause and just face the SEC as we had to face them. We didn't want to hurt our company. We didn't want to hurt our growth. So we had to get a little bit of protection. And as our lawyer says, hey, all this does is put us at the bottom of the SEC shit list, not the top. That will always be on that list. But the lower you are, the better off you are. The higher you are, the worse you are. So, you know, we don't solicit, you know, profits we don't solicit getting advantages of others we don't solicit anything we don't solicit our sale at all right now it's completely private placement um it will go public in september which we will advertise but it's not going to be advertising you know wind moon here's pictures of lambos and yachts how you can make money off the guy before you it's not it's it's all about hey purchase which if you want i'll lead me into some thought leadership on that but i'll, I'll stop there and, and see if you have uh any response to what i just stated no, that, that was really interesting and really helpful. Um, I mean, I think that's one of the big issues that a lot of these companies are grappling with right now. And also the biggest struggle with the regulatory environment, because to some extent, it's starting to stifle innovation. Uh, these companies you know, keep wanting to push further and do more things. And a lot of what they want to do is really incredible and really beneficial to the public and you know the countries at large. But this... I don't want to say the regulators are dragging their feet, but I think they're a little um, concerned about jumping in and pushing any regulations on because I don't think they fully understand a lot of the technology and what it's capable of just yet. So I guess in that regard, if you were to sit down with some regulators and you know had was able to give them some unfiltered advice about the industry or what you would like to see in that environment, um, you know, what would you say to them? Hmm. Well, the first thing I would say is that Sherman needs to go go on a lunch break. We don't need him in the room. <laughs> You're not going to change his mind at all. Um, he's a man who's set in the fact that cryptocurrencies are only for nefarious acts. There's no reason for them to exist. I'm not going to get into why I believe he feels that way, but you know, everyone, everyone's, everyone. Uh, I'm almost everyone. A lot of people are bought. So. Just put it that way, but I would tell him he has to go away. I can't. We can't have him in the room because we can't have a healthy conversation with him there. Um, he he does. He seems completely um, uh, in, in unwilling to accept that there is po potential possibilities that it's not for nefarious activities. And he just you know, and it's funny you know he talks about privacy and anonymity. Why would you want that? And the U.S. dollar is the most private currency in the world. So. More nefarious activities happen with the dollar than any other asset. In fact, most blockchain transactions are far more public, far more knowledgeable, and you can identify the individual at the time of transaction when they happen than you can with cash money, right? And around right. suitcases of, you know, $1 bills, no one's going to know, right? Anyways, I, I, would first, I would first tell regulators like, hey, uh, uh, the accredited investor stat statute in this nation needs to go away or needs reform. Um, it's, it's, it needs a ramp, right? So modify reg D with reg A in some way and call it reg E or something. Reg E meaning standing for everyone. Um, that's, that's the first order. And we need to, we need to create a better on ramp so that individuals can get on uh, investment opportunities um, if they s deem it as such. Um, so that's start one. Start two um, is acknowledging that STOs are ICOs disguised as legal money grabs. So not every STO is like that, but majority of STOs basically said, hey, we're Wall Street. We want in the same game that everyone else is getting in. These, these kids are driving Lambos. We want to make a ton of money. 
let's do this. But, oh, regulators are in our way. So let's just call them an STO, call them a security, um, whether it's a security or not. And what they don't realize is that a lot of these STOs are doing airdrops of the actual coin they wanted to sell to begin with for free. So these coins go on secondary markets. It's just a legal loophole, right? It's like we're familiar with good old boys and we're familiar with politics. It's just a loophole, right? And there are tons of loopholes everywhere. And so this really isn't solving much. Now, for the established businesses that are selling equity and ownership in their company and shares, complete STO. I love the fact that you're going to put that on blockchain. Love that. But a lot, a big portion of them, let's, let's call a spade what it is. And if you're going to tell us we're not, to be able, we're not allowed to do it, then you need to understand that they're not allowed to do it either. So let's go back to Wall Street and tell them no and quit telling us no because they're, they're, they're just getting around the legislation. Um, secondly, let's put some thought leadership involved, right? So let's look at, let's look at things like self-regulation. What's criteria for self-regulation where we don't need regulators involved. If a company, uh, has industry leaders that, um, you know, or, or have long-term industry experience in something they're going to disrupt. Okay. Maybe that's one factor. They're, they're able to raise private investment capital seed round, um, through accredited investors, you know, 200, you know, they're able to get to a certain amount, like a threshold, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're not just a website and a white paper, the three W's, a website, a white paper, and a wish, right? They're not that. They have a, a proof of concept they're going to be developing with the, the seed capital, right? Um, let them, let this, let us figure out that they're not a scam, right? And let them self-regulate at that point. Why, why, why stifled innovation, as you mentioned earlier, if these are good people, we're literally trying to provide something great for the world and, and maybe they'll fail, right? The, the fail rate of startups are high, right? Um, back to that same point where they say, oh, STOs are cool. Well, if they're third up too, their same success rate is no different than an ICO who's doing it down that regulatory path. Their success rate's the same. They're a startup, right? And, you know, we're, we're in a space that we're still trying to get the world to adopt to. So, um, Again, let's, you know, and if, and if, a, if a company or a so-called company hasn't filed uh, corporate documents, haven't been able to raise money, isn't building a proof of concept, doesn't have anyone relevant in the industry, the sector they're trying to disrupt or change or build a product for, then they should probably come under like an umbrella of regulation, right? So the sandbox idea that I've been hearing about, um, while I think it's a great notion, is going to be very limiting because the, 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 the speed of which innovation moves and the amount of innovation coming in, the sandbox just isn't big enough. And it will take, it will take such a long time to see some of these things through. So let's expand that sandbox. Let's come up with a framework and come up with uh, regulators to oversee these companies that haven't been able to quite fulfill the self-regulatory criteria. And that's just, that's an idea that, I, that I've had um, that I think, Hey, this, this could um, this could really you know supercharge a lot of these startups. They're able to hit these marks. Let them hit these marks. Let them self-regulate. Let them raise money in a crowdfunding metric like an ICO. Um, if there's you know in the utility versus security thing seems so much more subjective than objective right now that that's the problem. And if we can get past that and maybe a middle ground in the road, right, where we're not really going to label them a security. Um, Let's let's allow them to operate as such. And if, you know, if they don't, again, hit certain marks or certain things happen, uh, then you label it as such. But let people get involved now. Um, don't don't stifle the innovation. Um, you know, that that's this. It's it's what I want to would want to say is just be much more open. Um, if you need to put up bumper rails like a, like on a, like a, a bowling alley, that's fine. Allow them to still operate as such, but keep them within the bumper rails. Um, but it's like, it's all or nothing. You're either, you're either allowed to bowl or you're not. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think it needs to change. Right. And I think, um, you know, there, there's just a lot more reform that needs to happen. And, you know, things move at the speed of a slug in government. Um, so <laughs> <I don't. laughs> it's like, you know, it's like by the time you get this resolved, it's like the internet showing up in the nineties, you know, on the consumer level. Um, you know, by the time you could get something resolved, internet's already in full effect, right? Um, right. In this case, um, you know, by the time they get something resolved, I would hope um, blockchain is in full effect and the majority of the world's using it. They don't even know they're using it. And 
waiting around for this. And look, man, they're, they're, look, you have to understand, like, here's another concept that that's, that's pretty key, right? How to help support uh, the SEC or CFTC's notion that it's a security yet operate as a utility. And the, the idea of this, I get, give my lawyer, Ryan Williams, I would expect from experience legal, you know, all the credit on this one, but the notion is, Hey, limit the amount of coins someone can buy based on the amount of holdings they currently have on blockchain. Because like our coin and its utility to be able to transact with your assets instantly across the network is one of many utilities we provide. Um, And, you know, if you look at the current blockchains and how they work, it's a hundred percent utility, right? It's like, how, wow, I can send my Bitcoin to, you know, Joe Smo over there instantly. He gets the keys, I, you know, I lose the keys, or he has his own keys. This isn't centralized Coinbase where you send a transaction to someone, they get it in a minute. Um, Coinbase still owns your, your assets. Well, in this case, hey, you own your assets. Now the individual you sent them to owns the asset outright. It's, it's completely decentralized in that manner. Um, so you can leverage our coin to do something like that. But the idea is, hey, you have $100,000, you know, if you want to peg it to a USD value, in, in assets. Well, do you need $100,000 worth of ore in your wallet? Or do you need, you know, an excess amount? Probably not, right? Any more than you would have in a certain level would be purely speculation, which goes to the idea of a security, right? I'm only holding this coin because I want it to go in value and profit. Okay, that's a security if you want to look at it that way. Or the other side of the coin is, hey, I need to hold this, this amount because I'm going to transact on average this much. Or I, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to, you know, move assets um, uh, to to this amount, or you know, in some in some relation on a percentage basis, based on the overall assets you hold, based on the amount of ore you hold. Do you need you know a million dollars of ore if you only have five thousand dollars worth of assets? No. So if you had five thousand dollars assets, maybe you only hold ten uh, percent of that, or thirty percent of that, or fifty percent of that uh, in ore. And, you know, anything over would be speculating. So the idea of. Yeah, go go ahead. The idea that you're holding the coin to actually use it as utility and it's proof of holding like a PO, like I said, a proof of work, proof of stake. This is proof of holding, right? Where it's like, hey, um, I'm I'm holding in relation to what my assets are. So if I'm going to be my own bank, I'm going to be my own merchant processor. I'm going to be my own. I, I need this much weight in my account for this, this amount of assets that I have. And that was his idea. And I, and I think, Hey, it's, it's a really great argument. Right. And this, and all this is up against regulators and you, you being in the legal space is just presenting the right argument. Right. Right. So that's a really interesting idea too. I actually really like that. I hadn't, haven't heard that yet. And um, yeah, I mean, really appreciate your thoughts on the regulatory side here. Um, I think you really hit the nail on the head where, um, it's a balancing act, and that's essentially the needle that the regulators need to thread between protecting grandma, which, I, you know, especially in the crypto sphere is necessary considering some of the scams that have popped up, but also allowing the good people, the good actors to thrive because, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential here and we don't want to see it stymied at all. Um, so we're nearing the end of um, end of our time here, so I just want to get some quick final thoughts before we wrap up. Um, just kind of shifting back to Horde Invest again. Um, what's coming up on the timeline, and you know, where do you think you guys are going to be in the uh, in, in the coming year or two? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, and, and before we dive in, I just want to say thanks for the time and the invitation, and, and I love talking about this stuff. So not just Horde, but the, the industry in general and, and the sector, and, and how we can how we can make change for good. So uh, I, do, I do appreciate the time. So. What's coming up for Horde? Um, you know, we're we're about to drop a public beta. Um, that's an application that you can download on your devices. It won't be directly from the app stores, though. It'll be from like a, a third-party service. Um, and it's the it's a way for us to get you guys to test it, use it on testnet chains, not any real crypto. Uh, try to find bugs and crashes and things that help us improve the application from a community perspective. That's going to be dropping any day now. We were shooting for today. But uh, it might be later in this week. We found a few bugs over the weekend, um, some some performance issues. So we're trying to solve that. Um, but we're going to be expanding on our product offering. Um, 
awesome that uh, adding the cross portfolio port, uh, platform tracking. So track assets and transactions across blockchain, uh, the swap trading technology. So being able to swap any alt for another alt, um, we implemented this year. We'd like to get to our fiat gateway by the end of the year. It's not a guarantee, but through our banking API uh, partnership that we're currently working on, um, that might be uh, a possibility and uh, something we can deliver uh, before or something around the holidays. So we're looking forward to that. Maybe even a wearable, um, translating our application to something, to a wearable device like an, I, an, like an iWatch um, this year. And then next year will be all about finalizing our blockchain stack and our merchant processing and kind of the, the larger, more commercial applications um, for the following year. And then, you know, in the interim, uh, in September 15th, to be precise, we're kicking off a, a main sale. Um, uh, we'll be, uh, our holdings co will be out of the Caymans and that will be the fundraising uh, entity. And uh, we'll be selling, uh, we're, we're currently selling tokens now um, on a pre-sale. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, private placement, but um, the main sale comes and that's where the excitement comes, right? That's where you really get the community involved uh, globally and get them, in, you know, helping you, you know, raise this company. And, and um, we're still, you know, we're, and I'm still out searching for, you know, equity investments, you know, to keep, keep the company afloat. And, and we've already raised some and we're raising more. And, and so that's it, man, just uh, uh, raising money, uh, distributing coin, building the product, expanding our team, uh, you know, uh, making partnerships that make sense, um, uh, and, and, and growing this and growing this industry, right. Supporting it. I mean, like, I don't, I think I mentioned it before, but you know, horde on, a, on, a, on a philosophical approach or ideological approach is open source distrib distributed and centralized. So we want to give away as much of our tech as we can. Um, you can freely download it and play with it. I mean, you can go to GitHub now and, 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 and look at our code. And, and uh, if you're technically minded, you can take it and build your own Horde wallet if you want. Amazing. I, honestly, the more I listen to, the more I read about Horde, the more I learn about it, uh, the more frustrated I am that it's not available yet. <laughs> so. I know, dude. That's, and that's how this idea started, right? Like back about a year ago now. I put some designs online. There were more around AI and automation, and and uh, which we'll have a lot of that built baked in Horde um, by next year. But I was like, hey, like you know, uh, put this idea out there. That's how I met my partner Dan. Dan Leipert is our CTO. But it was funny the the comments below were just horrible. They're like, you shouldn't be sharing your idea. Someone's gonna steal it. Blah blah blah. And by the end of it all, just listen to it. And I was like, people. I don't care if you steal this idea. I want it to exist in the space. And if I don't build it, someone else does, great. As long as it exists and I can use it, I'm a happy person and I know the world will be a better place. So you guys telling me I shouldn't share ideas, I shouldn't put this stuff out there, I'm very open. And that's why we're open sourcing our stuff. Our, our dev team's the same way. Our engineering team's the same way. Design team's the same way. We're all the same. Like Just put it out there in the world. Maybe someone takes and does something really cool with it. Maybe they don't. Um, but that's, you know, that's how this started. It's all started with just putting it out there in the world, letting the community see it, let them talk about it, tell them what they like, don't like. And I don't know what CEO it was or what company it was. And maybe it's, it's Bezos with um, Amazon, but you got to listen to your customer. You got to listen to the end user. You know, you got to build a product that they're going to use. And, and all of this that we're building in Horde is all stems from people their problems, their complaints, their frustrations of wanting something better. And that's all it comes from. Jason, that sounds great. Best of luck as you continue the development of Horde. Um, yeah, glad to hear your thoughts on the industry, on regulations, and about the product you're building. I don't want to keep you from your beach day any, any longer. <laughs> so thank you for coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll be in touch. Hey, dude, I really, really appreciate the time. And uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter, Jason B. Davis. You can find me on Telegram as Jason Davis. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search me. I'm, I'm around. I'm always open to, con to, to discuss uh, the space. So, again, Matt, thanks so much for the time. And, yeah, I am pumped to go to the beach. We're about two hours away from taking off. Cool. Have fun. Jason, thanks again.